Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Saturday morning and here come the girls, Ray and Faye, with Let's Talk Gardening. Good morning, gardening friends. We hope you're managing out there. We are ready to go. Jill Floris will answer the calls when you phone in today. And John Glidden is ready to assist us with all those tricky questions. Our number, 94841927. And our email, gardening at curtainfm.com.au. Big shout out to Chris Bartlett for the lively breakfast show and also thanking the lovely Yvonne Hill for supporting Chris today. And... Look after that leg, Chris. It looked pretty nasty to us. Our cycling DJ, Jim Crinan, presented the cycling wrap-up just now and he shall return at 10am with the classic 70s. Faye, how are you? I'm really, really well, Ray. You always, always are. <laughs> the oh, hotter, the better, right? Well, I, I just go with the flow. Yeah. The best I can. Well, we can't. We can't change it. about it. Yeah, whereas I'm internally fighting this. Oh, no. Yes, I know. It's, you you really can't. It, enduring it. I know, but that's my that's how I'm wired. Oh, well, Ray, let me offer some maybe pearls of wisdom yes, and the right, way that ahead. you and many others can work through this. Mm. You yeah, get move, up in the morning. Move to Albany or, or lower. <laughs> <laughs> Try and get up early in the morning. Mm-hmm. Make yourself a cuppa. Throw your dressing gown on mm-hmm. or not and get outside and walk around the garden and just have a look at some of the changes that are happening because I'm actually quite surprised at what I'm seeing. And I have a yucca flowering, Mm. a magnolia, my huge magnolia. Mm. Absolutely. I've got ageratum self-seeding, believe it Mm. or not. Mm. And one of the jobs that I did this week was to empty out all those pots that had bulbs in them. And what was really good about that is I got to see if there was any movement. Some of them have started getting their their roots going. Mm. And, of course, that's probably triggered by the shorter daylight hours. Yeah. So it's it's not temperature related. It's daylight. Many plants are on their move. Uh, I also found a bit of fungus on some of the bulbs. Mm. And some of the potting mix was pretty, pretty average. So it gives me an opportunity to rethink what those pot displays will be next time round and what other uh, plants I might add. I might throw in seeds or, yeah, I can plan my next autumn display in large pots with bulbs. So Mm. something to think about. Another thing that I did for two mornings this week was grabbed a pin and walked around the different zones checking on sprinklers because there was one plant that I looked at and I thought, oh, that it's yeah. gone a bit pasty. Be careful with your sprinklers. Lo- you know, loses the, mm. the oomph in its leaves. Yeah. And I looked at it and thought, oh, that looks like it's missing a bit of water. Mm. So when that zone came on, I was able to see that a couple of the sprinklers are 
blocked. So, mm. you know, don't wait until there's a disaster. There's, yeah, mm. absolutely. Get out there and check out each and every one of the Be sprinklers. Vigilant. Some mm. of them just need a little bit of a clean to get yeah. them going again. So mm. it's an easy job. But then I had to find more sprinklers and then we have a collection of broken sprinklers. Yeah. So that was a good job to go through and tidy up the retic supplies and mm. see what else so I need. So you use these, uh, this heat wave to do other odd jobs basically as well. I yeah. try and keep things up. moving. Mm. Like we filled up two bins of leaves this mm. week mm. Uh, and one of the reasons why it's important to pick up the leaves if is because things can be hiding in them. When we had Johnny the Frogman on, one of the things I learnt to love about my leaves is that they're habitat for frogs. And we have an enormous amount of frogs around at the moment. Mm. Uh, but walking around the garden was probably about a week ago and I got under the trees and the temperatures just changed. And I thought, oh, what what relief, like, this is so important. We trees, have to look canopy. after our trees. Mm, mm. They are the umbrellas for our garden. And that's why so many of the plants that I have in my garden are surviving and doing okay. Mm. Uh, and this big pile of leaves at the entrance to my rose garden then became habitat for something that I only saw the tail of as it slinked under the leaves. So keeping areas clean. And yes, it was a snake. And I don't stress about it. I wasn't far from it. It was very keen to get away from me. Mm, of course. Mm. Mm. But, yeah, it's just a reminder. Everything that we have in our gardens is a habitat and it's it's wonderful. Certainly there are uh, fatalities, I think, uh, and some plants have burnt off. But with the risk of 41 degrees again next week, I really am holding back not trimming anything, but I'm getting ready to to do the trim, do a feed and a mulch and a cutback mm. after that. After that. Mm. Now, nice segue into our guest today. Would you like to tell the listeners who we're chatting with? Well, we will be speaking first up with Mel Legozzo, who is from Rewilding Suburbia. And anyone who's been on Instagram and loves bugs has probably come across her amazing footage. So Mel does phone photography and she will actually be speaking at the next Kalamunda Garden Festival, teaching people how she captures these amazing shots, motion shots of close-up insects. Mm. And, you know, there's a... There's a predator for every pest. If you've got a pest problem, Mel's got an answer for you. Good. And she's got a video to, to go prove with it. it. <laughs> but you will be amazed. Like the green vegetable bug, she has got a predator for that or a parasitoid. So mm. I'll mm. let her tell you more. But oh, she's well equipped. She has a, an article out in the latest Organic Gardener magazine. She's on Instagram as Rewilding Suburbia. And she's certainly one to follow. Mm. As well, we have got Laura Blishen joining us in the studio and she's from Thrive Sustainability. Yeah. And absolutely, you will... There won't be many listeners who do not want to start up a veggie garden after, after listening to her. <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm getting FOMO having not grown veggies for a little while. Yeah, yeah. I have to get back on the horse soon. Yeah, you do. All right, now Katie phoned in and she wants to know when is the best time to cut back her geraniums, please? Right, okay. Yes, well, uh, 
I would think I wouldn't mind doing them tomorrow if you've got time. Uh, I looked around at my geraniums and they're certainly on my radar. They're a job that you can do sitting under the patio. So you pick the time of day, even on a warm day. 41 degrees is not the best day to be doing those jobs though. But I have to tell you, I've been watering some geranium pots that are out in full sun and they weren't looking too good. And yesterday I conceded that it's not a good spot for them out there. So I picked up the pots and moved them and I burnt my hands. Mm. So if that's the sort of situation that plants are growing in, you know, it's no surprise they're not going to be happy, is it? So you you just have to put yourself in the plant's position, yeah. move it into some shade or yeah. just give it morning sun. There's a lot of pot shuffling going around yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Uh, think about does the plant need to be potted on? Is it kind of at its use by date? When you do cut it back, you will then be able to take cuttings. So that'll give you a new fresh plant. That might be the way to go. And I I know some of mine are certainly in that category. Mm. So I will be doing a cutback. And I, I think I'll probably start new pots with fresh mix. And I'll be going for big pots because these big pots create an amazing display they don't need watering quite as often mm. and they will flower. They are one of the plants that will flower and do well at this time. All right. So it's okay to cut geraniums back now in this weather? Yeah, okay. I I reckon so. Okay. Give them a chance but put them in a little bit of, you know, put them in a kinder environment. Yeah, don't put them in the direct blazing sun. Mm. Yeah, okay. Got you. All right, we do have free lines, 94841927. Carry on. Well, We've got a lot of emails, haven't we, as we well? We have. Mm. Last week uh, at the end of the show, Gail sent us in an email and yeah, we were thanks, talking Gail. about salvias. So she lives in Malu with limestone and bore water and she has a salvia misa, red and purple, and mm. hot lips, and mm. they're growing wonderfully well, full of growth and flowers. Some people do not think these plants need much water. However, I do look after mine with great reward. As my bushy hot lips is near my fish pond, I do have a couple of frogs living next nearby, which is exciting. I've had them for a number of years, and so she's familiar with their needs. She did purchase a couple of new varieties of salvias years ago, grew them in pots, but these did not do well. She said, we had the amazing salvia grower on our show some time ago, which helped her a great deal, how to prune, and this was extremely important. So she feels that the older varieties may be the best and hope this helps. And that's very true. We had Ben Mayo on, yeah, and he gave some great advice about the different types of salvias. Mm. So it may be a good idea if you, you're keen to hear that to listen back to the podcast podcast, because he did have great information. I recently, uh, prior to Christmas, put a couple of small pots of salvias in the ground and my experience is they're hanging on. They're getting water daily at the moment because they're they're not even taller than my coffee cup, Ray. Mm -hmm. They're they're quite small. Mm -hmm. One has pushed out a flower this week but it is needing extra care to get established. Now, one that I planted probably 18 months ago took a very long time to get established, 
but now that's taking up a space of around 30 centimetres. And so its leaf canopy is protecting its roots and its roots have established. So mm. getting them established it's is key. also a key. Yeah. yeah. Mm. You've, you've really got to baby them in the early times, like most plants, until they get their roots established. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. I know when I had my garden done, everything was really little and it was a lot harder back then. Uh, oh, to yes. Keep things going, keep things alive, you know. Um, well, things can go either way. Yeah. You know, 41 degrees is oh, pretty harsh. Merciless. You, you try and walk mm, on the ground no. outside when it's 41 degrees. I burnt my feet on the deck the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was a surprise. Mm. Um, and, yes, picking up these uh, terracotta pots of geraniums, or no, they were ceramic, uh, but burning my hands yeah. like no wonder the poor geraniums were kind of cooking oh. so their roots are in that zone some plants are tough mm. but they don't like being cooking they don't like cooking <laughs> no and well when we were being talking cooked. to rob and katie last week they're also saying with selvias and this is a problem i have um don't do well in if there's clay in the in the ground and i've had clay added and i've been wondering why until they spoke why i'm not having a lot of success with salvias in the past i have mm. had enormous success until this new garden and i'm really struggling and i i'm a salvia girl and i just um yeah i've got to re rethink this um, it's not well and another factor is when we're planting in older established gardens, mm. we're not dealing with new soil. No. We're not, sometimes we're almost not even dealing with prepared soil. What yeah. we're dealing with is roots coming in from elsewhere yeah. and compaction. Mm. And if you've got gum trees dropping all the time, they absolutely have an effect on mm. the ground underneath. So mm. there, are, there are a lot so of factors. Many factors that mm. you have but to this reflective consider. heat. That we're getting at the moment in new suburbs, my goodness, that mm. is a killer. I could not live in a house that Doesn't just had trees. air conditioning you, mm. because you haven't got a choice. Mm. What livability is there mm. if you've got fences and paving and walls? It's dreadful. Yeah, yeah, mm. shocking. All right, let's head to Watson. Pam, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good, thanks, Pam. How are you? Thank, thank you for a lovely show. Um, look, I've grown some rock melons. I'm just sick of buying them, and they're just green and hard. But I just don't know when they're huge. They're beautiful, but I don't know when to pick them. I know they'll be right. Are they um, knocking on them with fragrance? This yeah, time? definitely the fragrance, yeah. but. You know, if you bought rock melon in the shop, you know that sometimes you can get them a bit green and leave them oh, to ripen. Terrible. So they do continue to ripen on um, after they've been picked to a certain extent. Have a look at the stem. Is it drying and cracked? No, it's still very green. Okay. The size of the rock melons, they're huge. <laughs> and you know what? Lucky they will you. be developing their sweetness as they continue to grow in this hot weather. So you keep the water up to them. Yes. And yes. I think I think one of the things with rock melon, if you pick it up and it's ready to be picked, it just lets go of the vine oh, and yes, into yes. your hand. I think you've I got a little way to like go. Mm. Now, oh, great. you need to protect from pests, 
Pam. Do you yes. have uh, any rats in your area? No, no. I'm in a village and I've just got a very small plot that I put them in, you know. I, I thought I'll just try. I'm so sick of buying them and they were just so hard. Oh, yeah. well, that's fantastic. Nice oh, good on you. Yeah, what a wonderful reward. <laughs> yes, I'm really looking forward to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of my faves. Check them yeah. every day. Thank you very much. All right. Good luck, Pam. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And John from Bunbury phoned in and he said he grew up on a farm in the country and he heard frogs all the time and he now lives in Kerry Park mm. for the past 20 years and he doesn't hear a peep. It's it's sad. There, we used to be able to go tadpoling when yeah. we were kids, but now because of mosquitoes, all the... The waterways or some of the waterways get sprayed mm. and we don't have the insect population around. You know, like insects are are important and mm. people get used to being told how to kill them yeah. and think they need to. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, a few of us are trying to turn things back the other way. All right, short break. When we return, we're chatting with Mel Lugozzo, rewilding suburbia. We can't wait. Radio. You're with Ray and Faye and you are tuned to Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Now, as promised, we're chatting with Mel Lagozzo from Rewilding Suburbia. Let's hear about this story of passion and fruits. Can't wait. Hi, Mel. How are you going? You're with Ray and Faye. Good morning. How are you guys? We are great. Thank you. How have you been managing in the heat? How's your garden? Um... Not terrible, actually. Yeah. My edible's not so great, but my natives are doing really well at the moment. Yeah, funny that. <laughs> so what have you been up to this morning, Mel? Oh, I'm currently sitting by my pond. <laughs> <laughs> of course you are. Too <laughs> so who's there today? I haven't actually had a good look yet because I knew that it would distract me from my conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should be sitting inside not not to be distracted. I can just imagine, oh, there's something flying over there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh. So you've got a latest story that's come out in Organic, Organic Gardener magazine. Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, uh, that was a real privilege, I suppose, to be included in that little article. So it's just an article about urban rewilding. And yeah, it showcases some of like Australia's bigger projects, um, like over in Melbourne, the Heart Gardening Project. Oh, I love them so much. Um, and then also some things they're doing over in Singapore and then my little backyard. Oh, wow. So how did your journey start? Yeah, just about to ask Mel that. <laughs> My journey started just wanting to grow food. Uh, I just mm. dreamt of grow, having you know, a nice little food forest at home that, you know, I, can, I have a four-year-old so we can pick stuff and grow stuff together. And I did create a food forest, just not for us. <laughs> I grow a little bit of food, but now it's just more of a wildlife food forest. Oh, that's amazing. You have captured some incredible footage in your patch, which, how big is your garden? Uh, our block is 714 square metres. Okay, so that's a nice size block, yeah. Yeah, 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 the older suburban yeah, style. Yeah, block. E yeah, excellent, excellent. So tell us who, who your current targets are. Oh, there's a lot. <laughs> well, at the moment, it's 
I'm, I'm currently watching them now, but they're like male mealybugs are amazing. To watch them fly, they they look like fairies, and people think, oh, mealybugs, what? Yes. But you wouldn't understand how beautiful they are until you actually watch them go from flower to flower and like groups of females and oh they're absolutely fascinating so that they're on my radar at the moment because I love them and I think that a lot of insects get a bad rap yep. and if I can show people what I can see from my perception well that might change the way other people think as oh. well and might see them in a different light and you captured that. So how big is a male mealybug? About two mil. <laughs> Tiny. Yeah. Tiny little white speck flying. Yeah, they're yeah, about that. Oh my goodness. And so Mel has captured this and it does look like a fairy flowing flying through the air. Oh my goodness. It's just yeah. magical. Yeah. So yes, you, you're probably going to well, that's probably going to be the promo shot for the mealybugs. <laughs> and it must kill you when people say, What can I kill my mealybugs with? <laughs> it does because but I'm I'm hoping like with all my footage that if I can show people, say, okay, yes, this is a male mealybug, cool, let's go find the female mealybugs. And then once people are there, they might have a closer look and go, okay, well, there are actually like a few different kind of parasitic wasps here. Like there's lots of other things already happening. You just can't see it because you didn't look close enough. So and I'm hoping yep. to capture them with the pretty things first and then they go, oh, that might be in my garden. And then they yes. go, look. Oh, it's, it is magical and you are certainly bringing that vision to the world, I have to say. You've, you I'm do glad. have a bit of a following. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so one of, one of uh, the questions we get is about the green vegetable bug. Yes. <laughs> yes. Over to oh, you. I, oh, I was sorry. I was blown away because obviously I've, that's a recent one for me as well. Um, so I get a lot of them and I just like to leave pest, insects, whatever. I just like to leave them and just observe. <laughs> um, and I noticed, yeah, these, I noticed the fly first. I'm like, oh, what's this beautiful fly with these beautiful feathered legs? And then once I found an ID for those, I'm like, oh, you target the green vegetable stink bugs. No way. And then once I knew that, I saw them do it. Like I could watch them in my garden and go, yep, here they are. So I knew to look exactly where the stink bugs were. I'm like, okay, well, they must be around each other, and they are. And just see them like go plant their little egg on top, boop. and they're very uh, thorough because they won't just do one; they'll do like ten <laughs> to make sure. Yep, this is this is my host, and this is how we're going to procreate. And it's amazing to watch. So, oh, who knew and- that there was a predator out for them? <laughs> no, I know. Faye told me off air, and I was blown away by that. I think that is an amazing discovery, actually. Yeah, and well, she captured it. Yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. of course, yeah. of course. If I saw it, because. They're one of those things like, oh, I don't know if they've got any predators, do they? The birds don't seem to touch them much. Like, they're just everywhere. But once I found them, (laughs) I can't unsee it now. And it might encourage other people to go, oh, I wonder if my um, stink bugs have those eggs on them. I'll I'll let them live because I'll let the the natural process happen and then I'll get the predators. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> so going going forward, Mel, what 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 you, what's the philosophy that you're working with? What would you like to impart on you know even our listeners today? What message would you like to send? I would just like to um, inspire others really to take a closer look at their garden and trust the process. 
some things you might actually not be able to see because they are really small and that's fine but just leave it for a couple of weeks and you might find that nature might surprise you. <laughs> I think too because with um, people if they're growing vegetables and their vegetables are under their attack their natural yeah. instinct is to stop that because they actually oh. want to eat that vegetable. Um, Absolutely. That's, that's, what, that's what their motive is. Um, so yeah. how, how, how do you, where's the common ground there? Um, where people um, are har- getting their harvest of, of what they're growing and, and it's edible uh, and, and then balancing it, that against. Uh, or is it a case of once you do take that leap and let go, you don't have the problems going. That forward. problem pretty, just pretty, dissipates. Yeah, exactly. And that might take you a couple of seasons of growing. Like last yeah. year, I left a brassica on purpose, and it was riddled with aphids. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to see what happens. And oh, I was amazed at the predators that came. So. Green lace wings, the brown lace wings, uh, ladybirds, um, hoverflies, hoverflies. Yes, and it was wasps. And yeah, what parasitic wasps? And it didn't make that problem go away for that one brassica, but it protected all my other ones. And then I started spring with this army of predators. Mm. So I was willing to sacrifice one brassica plant for the greater good of the rest of my ecosystem so really this is, so. this is what you need to impart this is the learning yeah, yeah. This, this is, is the is, journey yeah. and having the faith but coupled with that i think a big part of the re- reward for you and i mel is that we do see it you know yes. if if you just took that leap of faith you know and it just happens yep. but the the magic comes from seeing it and Absolutely. I'm less attached to my produce now than I am to my bugs. Like it's just pushed me further. I'm the, I'm the same way. <laughs> yeah. So are there other things that you plant in unison with your vegetable garden that also provide that bank or that that nesting ground, you know, yeah. companion plants, beneficial plants? Yeah. Yeah, of course, Um, because I like to think about the whole um, insect cycle, really. So I want to provide everything that they want. So their pest host that they lay in or use to make more, and then I want to make sure that they've got food as well. So uh, flowers, um, and that might change. Like plant diversity is a big one. So I've Mm. got natives, and then I've got annuals in with my vegetables and stuff like that. Um, So I want to make sure they've got food, uh, even like water around and well I don't spray either so I, I make sure that they're going to be safe there <laughs> too. Mm. so I just want to make sure that that whole cycle is looked after not just some of it and you're self-taught Mel yeah well I learned from seeing so I just I just started winging it with a garden, really. And then once I started to look at things, that really changed the way that I garden and it gave me more appreciation for all the little things that are actually happening. Mm. And it made me, yeah, it made me really understand my garden and where the gaps in my ecosystem might be just based on what I could see. And you're going to be at the Kalamunda Festival coming up in the March. Yeah. Third, I think. You're going to be speaking. 
I am going to be speaking. So one of the things that I get asked a lot is, one, how do you capture this footage? (laughs) And then also, you know, people want to know, well, how can I attract more predators or beneficial insects into my garden? So, yeah, I'll be talking about that all combined because you can't film them or take photos of them if you don't have them. So it's all interrelated. Well, you have got an amazing hunting ground. And what I'm envious of is all your ground nesting bees. Oh, I'm a big ground nesting um, <laughs> fan. But I don't, like, a lot of people, like, add structures and, like, bee hotels. Like, yeah, that's cool, but I want to know what's happening underneath the ground. And, yeah, I've just noticed the differences in, like, bare patches of soil, all the different wasps I get and all the different ground nesting bees. And then, like, in the leafier parts, all the beetles, the spiders, and then their relationships with each other. And, oh, it's fascinating. Ground nesting is, yeah, I'm obsessed. <laughs> and then when you've got all the food, you've got, the bigger predators, of course, which are the birds, and you've got exactly. your, your food trees and your perches and your natives. and Yep. Oh. I, I really think, like, invertebrates are just, like, that crucial part in, like, the the bigger picture. Like, without them, you don't have the bigger predators, the lizards, the birds. And so, yeah, I really want to make sure I look after oh. them to encourage everything else to come live in my garden too. <laughs> so we certainly encourage listeners to get along and, and have a listen to you at the Kalamunda Festival. So that's the oh, third, third of March and you're speaking in phase 10. I call it phase oh, 10. Yes. <laughs> I want to too. Yeah, so that's coming up yes. very soon. So people want to learn more. And actually, how do people um, get onto your – you've got a website? Yeah, I do have a website. It's just rewildingsuburbia.com or – you can find me like Rewilding Suburbia on Instagram, Facebook. Okay. Go go and have a look yeah. on Instagram. Go and yeah. have a look. See how beautiful male mealybugs are. It'll just blow your mind. Yeah. <laughs> or green vegetable <laughs> bugs. Yes, them too. <laughs> and then the the bees, the native bees and the footage oh, yeah. that you've captured the and native. the interactions there. I'm so obsessed. <laughs> Oh, well, you've met your kindred spirit with Faye, I'm afraid, Mel. Yeah, so. I know. (laughs) And you know know what I photographed in my garden yesterday after I spoke to you? What? A spotted pardalote. No way! (laughs) Actually, I saw that on your iNaturalist entry. (laughs) (laughs) That and, yes, uh, the day before I found varied satellas. I'd never heard of them. They're this little bird that have a black crown and they kind of start at the top of the tree and work their way down checking on the bark. And that was because I'd gone out in the hottest part of the day to check my water water stations and top up a, um, and spritz a bit and then I looked up in the tree and there's two little babies and mum and dad flying around. Oh, so, yeah, that's the, beautiful. you've got to go out in the hot, hottest part of the to day see. To, to see different things. Surprises everywhere. Every mm. part of the day, yep. Change, yes. change, your spot, change the time of the day, you, you will see a whole different world. Sit and have your cup of tea out there. Exactly. Mm. Oh, thank you, Mel. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. You're very welcome. <laughs> we look forward to listening to you chat uh, coming up very soon in Kalamunda. So we will definitely be in your audience. Um, Yay! <laughs> keep cool. Thank you for imparting your wisdom with us and our listeners, and uh, we will see you soon. Thanks for having me. All Thanks, right. Mel. You're a champ. Thank Bye. you. Have Cheers. A good day. You too. Bye. And that was Mel Lagozzo from Rewilding Suburbia. And isn't she an inspiration? Absolutely. But wait, there's more. She also has a podcast called Unbelievable. And it's fun and it's informative. 
Okay. So un B leaf. So yep. I'll spell it for everybody. U N B double E L E A F as in the leaf, a bull podcast. Unbelief. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that's, that's clever. Her. All by yeah, itself. Her and Ange. All right, we're heading to Como. Sam, thanks for waiting. Morning, Sam. Oh, hello. oh hello there. Good morning, and uh, I love your program. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that that chat. Oh, Very interesting. Yes. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, well, my uh, my problem is a very simple one. <laughs> no, not a simple one. It, hopefully it's a simple one to answer. I've got these pumpkins growing, but pumpkin vines, which are Gerardale and Queensland Blue. Yes, good old-fashioned varieties. Yeah, but they're producing hundreds of male flowers, but no female flowers. <laughs> yes, it can be a common problem, Sam, and it's temperature-related, so there's not much that you can do about it. But instead of letting them go and go and go, nip out the ends so you get sideways runners. Well, I, I've done that. I've, I've been doing that Good. because they're just going uh, half a mile long. Mm-hmm. So I just clipped all the ends and they have got a lot of side shoots. Yes. But I'm still not getting a... I no. think I've had one one little one and it grew to the size of a between a golf ball and a tennis ball. And then it just cocked it. <laughs> mm. Well, don't give up. Keep, keep your vine growing. I, and I guess with this temperature, yeah. it's probably not ideal for it to be setting fruit that it can't hang on to. So I, I think it's probably just around the corner. I think you just got to, you know, it's that gardener's thing. You just got to be patient. Yeah, but so I had some butternut. Is it butternut or butternut? Yes, butternut. butternut. And uh, it took a long time. I eventually got a few, but it took a long time to... But it wasn't quite as hot at the time. Right. And I tell you what, our next guest on the show is Laura Blishen, and she is a veggie garden grower. So we can talk about this with her as well. Okay. Thanks very much. Thanks, Sam. Okay. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Now, we do have... Two more calls. We're going to a break. Guys, stay with me. Ed and Heather, you are up next. 100.1 And you're with Ray and Faye. This is Let's Talk Gardening. And we have been joined in the studio by the lovely Laura Blishen from Thrive Sustainability. Good morning. Good morning. Thank How you did for you find me. us okay? Um, I had a little walk around the university grounds and then found mm. the building by identifying the big satellite dishes and oh <laughs> my word very creative <laughs> yes all right thank you for joining us we're just going straight back out to the lines as promised we're talking about mother-in-law tongue ed hi 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 i am calling i'm not calling with regard to a problem with anything in my garden but something that's quite unusual i have a mother-in-law's tongue which is growing inside the house in the living room and it's a flowering mother-in-law's ah, tongue, yes. which I'm told is really un- is can be really unusual. But also because I've never experienced or come across this before, um, it, does that mean or have any significance in terms of the development of the plant or uh, or anything like that? 
you're just special, Ed. You're, <laughs> you're a wonderful grower uh, yeah. and you're also a wonderful observer because mm. the flowers are quite small. And I guess the fact that it's in your living area, you've been uh, able to see it. If it was out in the garden, quite often they go unnoticed. Okay. So, okay. no, it won't harbour the development of the plant. It's just, yeah, something plants do and it'll be fine. Well, it's a beautiful blossom. It really is. It's the second time it's done that over the course of the summer. So uh, I'm quite excited about it. That's, now, uh, you're it's a very uh, happy my, One of my new best friends. Ah, does it have a scent? Mm. Yes. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, don't ask me to describe that. My wife would be able to do that better than I could. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, she uh, she loves the scent that it's uh, that it's putting off. So. Oh, that's that's good. Just it's totally interesting too. Enjoying. And happy plants or dracaenas mm. are also another plant that flower quite irregularly, but when they're they're older. Mm. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, uh, being up uh, near the Wanneroo area, I spoke to the. Uh, one of the uh, the guys at the botanical gardens here, and uh, he was unaware of the uh, you know this particular event happening with a uh, mother-in-law's tongue. So, yeah. It was, um, so yeah. Anyhow, very so, exciting. Well, thank you for your time. A timely reminder for everyone to get out and look closely at their mother-in-law's tongues. <laughs> All right. Thanks thank for you. the tip a- off, Ed. A- enjoy. Thank you, Ed. Bye. And let's go to Coolangup. We're talking about roses with Heather. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm just inquiring. We we had a bout of chilli shrimp last year, which drove me to, to distraction. Yes. And then this year we um, pruned all the roses, made sure they were sprayed, and, and they came on absolutely beautifully, you know, in the new season. And then we went away for five weeks, so the, tree, the uh, roses didn't get any attention. And um, now we've got this chilli shrimp back with a, a vengeance. Is there anything I can do apart from keep cutting it back and keep spraying or...? I'm not sure what else to do. They're so frustrating. Well, there are there are recommended treatments for it, Heather, but mm. my go-to because I don't like using sprays in the garden, mm. also because the leaf cutter bees sometimes will come and cut holes out and make their nests with them. Uh, but if you were to plant other plants around your roses, you you can build up a population of predators that target the, the sap suckers that cause problems. Um, and that way you don't have to worry in the long term about doing anything. So to ward off chilli thrips on hot days, I might get out and spray with a, a jet of water. You can use a spray bottle to do that, water under and over the leaves. I also plant alisum and salvias. And that way when the aphids come, you also have ladybirds, hoverflies, etc. But the recommended sprays were success, success ultra, mm. and there was a. <clears throat> I th- thought there was an alternative. Um, I've been using Maverick. That's one I have. Right. Well, I think I think Success Ultra is a little softer, uh, and I think very effective. Uh, we've got some really good podcasts on mm. on this. On if if you have the time to go and have a list, if you go to the Curtain FM website and you wanted to have a listen through, we've got some very good pod- podcasts, compilations all about chili thrip. All right, I'll double check. Okay. In the meantime, thank you very much. All right. Yeah, Thanks luck, for your love. call, thank Heather. You. Bye. I still 
see people on Facebook that are saying things like, I'm giving up, I'm pulling out all of my roses. It's well, a real pity. Well, you know, I've felt like the problem has lessened. Yes, I think so too. And if you take a leaf out of Mel's book, then you, you bump up the other things in your garden. You stop mm. focusing mm. on, you know, particularly summer roses. Like I'm itching to to cut back my roses, but I'll wait a week or so, so you and look, then I'll focus feed on spring and autumn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, but I'll bump up everything else around the garden. I'll acknowledge that there is a bit of it there, but it's mm. not as bad as it was previously. Mm. The plants are surviving, which is about all I ask of plants in my garden at the present moment, and then look ahead to the next season. But yeah, you know. Borders of white alisum, they look pretty and they harbour predators. So they're a plant I would add to a rose garden. I, I think something that's important when you're talking about pests is remembering if, like you were talking about the beneficial insects and the predators, is you've got to really give yourself a year because if you have an outbreak, to establish, yeah, if yeah. you have an outbreak of something, you've got to really have a a year before you, you know, those those predatory beneficial insects can kind of move in and mm. because it, you know when you're starting out they if the if the f feed for them isn't there that's they're right. not going to be there and but the following year you may find that you will have more beneficial insects coming in so and particularly if you've nuked everything in the garden yeah, with sprays prior to that mm. so it's sort of a bit of patience is needed is is needed as well 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 said actually so lauren tell us Laura. about sorry sorry Pardon me. Tell us about Thrive Sustainability and you know, give us a bit of a synopsis of you. So Thrive Sustainability, um, the it's a business that started from my passion from, for growing food. Um, and we grow and sell seeds, um, mainly vegetable and herb seeds and a few flowers as well. Um, and I think the aim of the business is really to encourage families and everyday people to grow their own food, even if it's on a small scale, and mm. also to start saving seeds as well. Um, and my real big picture, my aim for the business is to build a community of food, not just food growers, but seed savers here in WA. So we can kind of secure a, um, a local supply chain for seeds here in WA. Yeah, perfect. So, how, how long have you been doing this? How long did um, you? The business has been running, oh, quite a fair few years now sort of maybe oh I'm trying to think back when my son was born <laughs> how old <laughs> is he? he he's he's nine I started the business when he was a little top because I need, wanted a career change so um so yeah it's probably about seven or eight years um but the online shop and the seeds that's in the last few years I've been doing that previously we run a retail nursery okay. focusing on edibles okay um so but I've sort of moved move now to this area and this is what I'm I'm focusing my time and resources on so the reason that we've got Laura yeah. here today is yeah. because it it came about because of this corn seed problem yeah. that we'd had uh we'd had calls about saying that the seed wasn't germinating and I have not had a reply back from either of the two companies that I wrote to, yeah. um, which is quite disappointing. Mm. Anyway, one of our listeners sent us an email recommending that we speak to you. And I've got it here, but I've got a lot of papers here. So <laughs> um, sorry, I can't find that right now. 
Um, here we go. It was Catherine. So thanks, Catherine, for putting Laura on our radar. Yeah, thanks, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> so the, what's the problem with corn? Because often they won't even send to WA. No, they. well, you can get corn seed um, imported into WA, but it does need to be treated with fungicides and insecticides mm-hmm. because there's certain diseases and conditions that they have in other states that we don't have here. So there is a really important reason for that. Um uh, so it's like protect, you know, to protect the agriculture industry here. Um, so any seed that you buy in to WA, it will need to be treated with the fungicide. Mm. Um, so when you open up your seed packets and your seeds are like a bright blue or a bright orange, that's usually a treatment that they've they've been either just like dunked in or dusted with. Um, the question from the corn grower with them not germinating now these treatments they shouldn't mm. really affect the germination um however one one thing i was thinking about is a seed is a living thing now within every seed there is actually a microbiome just like we have beneficial bacteria and fungi within us mm. each seed and each plant has these things called endophytes which i hope i've pronounced that right which are basically bat- microscopic beneficial bacteria and fungi and they live in between the plant cells but they also are contained in a little reservoir within each seed so if you have these beneficial bacteria and fungi that live within that seed that play important functions like they they actually think they um, help with germination now if you're going to then treat that seed with a systemic Mm. fungicide that actually you know the yeah the good stuff yeah <laughs> but this is me just speculating i'm okay. yeah it's your theory that's yeah, yeah so whether it could potentially um mm. you know it's a question inhibit. mark that we yeah have. it's yeah. obviously they're not going to market you know and create a product that's going to stop it from germinating because that'd be completely pointless but um whether mm. maybe if it's it might be a factor yeah so we need to go to a break love and we can pick up this chat on the other side we, we okay. will be back soon the music you remember, Curtain Radio. You're with Let's Talk Gardening and our special guest this morning, Laura Blishen from Thrive Sustainability. We're learning all about saving seeds and how you can do it. We will return to that and we will be going to the nine o'clock news as well. However, it's time for one of John's quizzes. So if you'd like to go shopping with a $75 gift voucher, compliments of Kerry from Bigger Trees, make sure you're a Curtin FM member and not to have won a prize in the last 28 days. Bigger Trees say life is better with frangipanis and we agree. However, Bigger is not only your frangipani specialist, they are also an ornamental and fruit tree specialist nursery up there in Pickering Brook. Huge amounts of magnificent stock arrive each week and we suggest you browse their colourful Facebook page for updates and videos of the nursery. Big plants or little plants, Bigotry does have you covered and they deliver across the metro area too for your convenience. Now, they are open Thursdays through to Sunday each week. However, this weekend, due to the heat, they're only open between 10am and 12 noon today and tomorrow and I certainly understand that. For more details, go to bigotrees.com.au. Here's John's question. Now, this is mm, a hard one. You're going to have to have your thinking caps on. Don, John, every now and then John throws in a curly, as you guys already know. In his song, I Got a Name, Jim Croce tells us he's got a name just like what lining the winding road. In his song, I Got a Name, Jim Croce tells us he's got a name just like what 
lining the winding road. It's also a tongue twister, John. Thank you. All right, we're going to let you guys uh, ponder that one. Uh, it's it's difficult, and if no one comes through in the first, well, the lines are yeah. In the first few minutes, we might give you a little hint with that one. Okay, we're heading down to Bustleton. Trevor, hi. Morning, Trevor. Yes, good morning. How are you? Very Great. good. How can we help you? Uh, well, I think I've got blight. Uh, as far as I can determine, it's late blight in my vegetables, particularly in the uh, pumpkins and the melons. And I was wondering what I can do to control it. And when I'm reading online, it's, you, you can't get rid of it, but you can control it. Mm. Blight on melons. Is it on anything else? Yeah, on the pumpkins and uh, and the cucumbers. Okay. What, what makes you think it's blight? What what colour are the leaves? And uh, it's got the brown spots. It starts off with a very small brown spot, and then it grows, and then the and it starts on the edges of the leaves, and eventually the whole leaf dies off, and then some of the stem starts to die off, and then the plants pretty much had it after that. Mm. All right, I don't actually know much about late blight. Um, is if it's on all of your crop, that that seems to be, you know, like a, I just wonder if there's a common denominator. If there's mm. something going on with the soil, something about the watering that you're doing, uh, if you're having the strong you know, the high temperatures, is it temperature-related? Um, I'm not sure that blight would come, like, as a virus with the plants, in which case I I don't. I wonder why they've all got it. I'm wondering whether it could be mistaken with downy mildew as well, because that is really quite common, you know, in pumpkins and things. And that it starts mm. with more of a brownie-yellow colour, and that's a, a fungal problem mm. um, and that that's quite common but with any diseases it's when when the plant gets stressed so particularly in the temperatures we've been having yeah. and uh, the dryness as soon as they get stressed just like us you know that's when they're going to be susceptible to things um, mm. and I've, I've just brought up late blight uh, it says it affects all part of the plant except the roots but if if it is a virus I wouldn't expect that it would be on all of your crops. Is it? Could it be sunburn? Uh, I suspect there is a bit of sunburn on some of them, but I, I've got some shade cloth over the majority of the plants now, so I don't think it is. But um, what you're saying does make sense. And look, I'm, I'm not an expert, and I, I don't. I'm not a hundred percent sure that it is blight. Um, you know, and they start, take it to an expert to. Mm. What about a photograph? Yeah, if you could send in a photograph. Yeah, a a photograph would help, but um, grey to white mouldy growth. So if if that's what it is, yeah, a photo might help, but putting it under a microscope to see if it is actually fungal would be, you know, my way of identifying whether it is actually that. Um, I have to tell you, I was in one of my shade houses earlier in the week and I could not believe the intensity of heat that I felt through the shade cloth and I thought those plants up at the top close close to the roof of the shade house 
I'm sure could have been burned had I not moved them. Mm. So 40, you know, it was 43 degrees under our veranda the other day. Mm. It's, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's very hot at the moment. Punishing. Mm. Uh, yeah. I'll send some uh, photos through, but thanks very much for that, ladies. That's brilliant. Okay. Um, yep. We'll, yeah. we'll see what we can find out for you, Trevor. Thanks for your call. Thanks very much. Bye. Thank you. And we do have a winner, but we're going to the 9am news, everyone. Sunny today with a maximum of 41. Right now, 34.6 degrees, humidity at only 14%. The minimum overnight will be 22, so another warm night like last night. And the maximum tomorrow, 35. Looking ahead to Monday, the minimum drops down a little bit to 18 and a maximum of 33 on Monday. And looking ahead, then it starts to increase up till next weekend, actually. So, yeah, I'm looking here at the moment of... 39 on Thursday and a 38 on Wednesday. So as I said earlier, let's hope that is revised. Now we do have a competition winner, Francis of North Beach. Very clever of you. This, the question was, in his song, I Got a Name, Jim Crose tells us he's got a name just like what, what? Lining the Winding Road. The answer is Pine Trees, Lining the Winding Rose. It was a difficult one. Francis, well done. $75 gift voucher from Bigger Trees will be in the mail to you this week. Do let us know what you do with it and thank you for playing with us. Okay, guys, carry on. All right, let's get down to some edible veggie gardening and seed saving. So, Laura, how can people get started? Like, I guess if they're already veggie gardeners, uh, what they're experiencing now might be a turning point. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So Mm. let's start with that. (laughs) What is... Yeah, how should they feel now looking at their gardens? <laughs> <laughs> well, try not to feel too disheartened, I'd yeah. say. <laughs> I think, I think, um, yeah. If if you uh, look out there, and if anything is still alive, even a weed, I think you're doing okay. <laughs> you know, if you if you can keep oh. the weeds alive in this heat, I think you you've done something right. So I think remember, it's the soil conditions is going to be the key to success, especially in these sort of um, you know in this season in the weather. Um, so yeah and i think yeah just just take stock of you know what's worked what hasn't um treat everything as a learning experience when you go out into the garden yes um and you know note it down you know make a note of it in a diary or somewhere and say okay well when we had these easterly winds this part of the garden suffered you know and Mm. then then kind of take stock and think about where you 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 know maybe make some improvements Mm. over the following year you know when the weather cools down do we want to, you know, are we going to have a project of putting up some windbreaks or planting a windbreak? Or, you know, if you're on the coast and you're getting the sea breeze or alternatively where we are, we get really, really hot eastern winds. So we're in the Chittering Valley yeah, um, and we're on a very exposed sort of hillside facing northeast. So we, you know, full sun, but we really get blasted. I call them the beastly easterlies because mm. it's like a hot wind from a hot oven. Yeah. Um, and yep. it... it it's quite challenging. It is, um, but it's just working with what you've got, and yeah. So we, you know, things like windbreaks, and you know, maybe thinking about creating some sort of structures over your veggie beds, where you know, in those hot, really hot months, you can put some shade cloth. Yeah. So, what plants or what seeds could we start off with now? 
Um, oh, what, so putting in for a sort of an autumn veggie garden. So you're going to be looking at, you've got a small window to put some beans in. Okay. Um, so beans would be good to go in, in now because you don't want to get beans in too late in the autumn because they, they will grow. But if once the temperatures start to drop, um, the flowers actually won't set the beans they won't pollinate you know you need a certain sort of range of temperatures so get some beans in now um in sort of the next coming months you could start putting in some peas um your brassicas so your you know your cabbages your broccolis cauliflowers get them started off from seed now um so yeah all, all your winter veggies what are you, what are your favorite beans um oh i think i like purple king they're a climbing bean and they're mm. They're a really cool colour because they're purple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do love coloured veggies. They yeah, make a veggie garden look good too, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah. We we grow um, purple podded peas, um, purple podded peas for seed, and they are stunning. Like the the flowers on them are, are like a purple and pink flower, so they're Green. really ornamental. You know, mm. I say don't grow sweet peas, just grow, grow your those. yeah, grow those instead. Yeah, mm. yeah. What other colourful veggies are there for the garden? Oh, there's, oh, there's so, so many. So Go on, rattle off like, a Think few. about um, with your with your brassicas. So you've got purple Sicily cauliflower, which is yeah. the really intense purple. You have the Romanesco, which come in like a lime green colour, but it's more the the pattern on that that's really in. You can even you can get orange cauliflowers as well. I haven't seen an um, orange one. Yeah, have you got seeds for them? I don't because oh. they're very hard to get viable seed from. Mm. I have grown them, but yeah, that variety is incredibly hard to get the seeds from and get them. They don't produce a lot of seeds, so um, so you can get you can get those. Um, the carrots come in all different colours. You know, they're not all yeah. orange. Yes. Um, they were bred to be orange. I think. Um, I think there was some historical story behind that about some mm. Dutch king or something. Mm-hmm. You know, he wanted them to be orange. So. Um, but you know they come in they come in white they come in gold yellow purple mm. um, we grow some called black nebula which is a beautiful dark black sort of almost black colored purple carrot um yeah they oh, do amazing they're... things to your teeth too when you <laughs> yeah. eat them have you noticed that yeah what do they do <laughs> well it's like eating licorice or something they make oh. your teeth all black <laughs> yeah interesting yeah, but they're great mm. so how how should people prepare soil if they if they've got sand? What okay, should they so add? So compost, compost, compost. Um, so so with your sandy soil, the problem is the particles in sand are quite big, and your water just sort of drains straight through. Sometimes it will be water repellent as well, yeah. which you need to address. But really, your yeah, the key is lots of organic matter. So anything that was once living or from a living thing, you know. Um, so and also. Putting a clay product in can help as well to help bind bind those sort of particles together. So something like soil silver or something like that. But I do say to people, do, be careful when using those clay products because you can always put more clay in, but you can't take it out. So if you overdo it in an area, especially if you're just prepping an area to plant a tree or something. Mm. So always read the back of the packet. Mm. Um, but yeah, really the key to any soil type, whether it's clay or sand, I think the key to soil health, health is compost yeah and organic matter you know and mm. think about putting carbon back into the soil and if people are doing that now should they then wait to plant their autumn veggies or should they maybe no, we, well, throw in a, a 
mustard crop or something uh, like that. Well, yeah, you can. I mean, if it's if the compost is uh, matured and it's it's composted down correctly, you can you can incorporate that compost and plant your seeds or plant your seedlings straight into that. But um, yeah. You can, yeah, you can always, mustard crops are good um, if you've got nematodes or something like mm, that. You can mm. use that as a, as a cover crop and that can help with a nematode problem. And great eating too. I love my mustard leaves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're in Queen's Rock. Elia, good morning. Morning. How's it going? Right. How are you? Good. Very well, thank you very much. Uh, I'll get straight to it there. I have a, 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 for me it's a big problem, but uh, I grow a lot of clivias and they are inside a pergola, enclosed, um, but they get sunlight and a bit of wind there. But I just cannot... This year I've got a huge problem in getting the white scale. They they get caught in between the leaves, especially inside the middle, in the heart, mm. and uh, I spray the eco oil, but it doesn't seem to be doing very much. Okay. All right. Um, I would would also repeat spray it, but I would get down in between. You could use a cotton bud with methylated spirits and wipe it away. That would be one way, physical removal that will help clean it up. But anything like eco oil, you, you probably do have to repeat spray. Um, I guess it could be coming from the ground. So uh, it, All my, sorry, sorry to interrupt. All my clivers are all in pots. But it could be in the soil. Oh, in the soil. Mm. That that could be part of the problem. All right. So the methylated spirit is okay to wipe the leaves, is it? It won't burn the leaves. If you get it on a a cloth or a cotton bud, and yes. just wipe it, it shouldn't hurt the leaves. Don't leave copious amounts on the leaves. But the idea is you're actually getting it on the bug itself, and it breaks away its skeleton. And then it can't breathe. Fine. Okay. All right. Mm. Well, I'll do that immediately uh, this evening uh, when the when the weather uh, cools down a bit, and uh, and we'll see what happens. And I'll, I'll let you know in weeks to come. Yeah. Good All luck right. with that. Yeah. It Thank can so it much. can be uh, something you have to keep on top of. I know I've got a couple of susceptible cordylines at the moment that I'm going to have to keep an eye on. I use the isopropyl alcohol. And one part to 10 water, mix it up, put it in a little spray bottle. And I find that easier to get down into the crevices. Do you open up the leaves so that it can get down there? And I find that very effective. Can you tell me the name of that alcohol again, please? Yeah, isopropyl. And you can buy it at the chemist. Okay. Yeah. All right. Listen, thank you so much. I really enjoy your show. Uh, Take care. Thank you. you. Thanks for your call. Bye. And let's go to Rollystone. How's that from Queen's Rock to Rollystone? Thomas, how are you? Good. How's yourself, ladies? We are well. We're Very surviving. Good, thank you. Sorry? We're surviving the heat. <laughs> Thomas, <laughs> are you? Yeah. Yeah, just about. Um, I got to, want to put a no-dig garden in. Can I use old carpet underneath instead of cardboard? I would. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I just pulled a face when you said that. Yeah. No, please, please don't. For, no, for your own sanity, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it will. The, well, quite often the carpets have a you know plastic backings yeah. and or things rubber. that you don't want in the soil, mm. and some of it break down, and some of it um, will stay there in the soil. And I think, yeah, I think 
you'll create yourself a bit of a headache if you use carpet there because if you're going to use any any kind of fabric to layer i would only use something that's pure cotton something that'll or, break down in or the wool, soil or wool because mm. both of those obviously are derived from a natural product originally and they will break down eventually but anything that contains like plastic or rubber definitely avoid yeah i 100% agree i did carpet once in an area to smother weeds and that worked perfectly until soil blew on top of it and leaves dropped Mm. and roots grew through it and then it was just a horrible mess yeah Yeah. Mm. don't do it thomas okay thanks very much ladies okay (laughs) good on you take care cheers and we do have free lines and our number is 94841927 and you're listening to laura Laura Blishen. Sorry. Yeah, you said, yeah, you got it. I got it right. I got (laughs) it right. Okay. And we're talking about all things around vegetables and saving seeds. Mm. So, Laura, one of your aims is to encourage a network of people who will grow seeds for you. So, you have a captive audience out here. Go for it. So, basically, here in Australia and WA, the majority of the seeds that are sold to home gardeners are actually grown overseas, overseas, not mm. overseas. <laughs> and now there's, they're, they're perfectly good, healthy seed, nothing wrong with that. But I do feel like we need to focus a little bit more on our seed security here. Yeah. Um, and also from a disease, pest and disease point of view, obviously, mm. if you don't know where those seeds are coming from, um, you know, if there's an outbreak of something in another country and, you know, if it's something slips through um, and obviously that's why we've got really tight biosecurity laws here um, here in WA to try and prevent that from happening but I I do think we just need to you know food security is something that I think uh, is on more people's radar now which is good but I think we need to take a step go a step further and think well where does that food come from originally and it's the seed um, so yeah it's something I'm really that is something I'm really passionate about is trying to encourage you know and everyday gardeners don't think you've got to be this huge ginormous farm to start saving saving seeds you know each seed that you put in the soil has this huge potential to become this infinite source yeah. of food mm. um you know if you think you plant one tomato seed how many tomatoes can you get from that plant and how many mm. seeds are contained within each tomato can you give us an example of saving seeds for example of it, sorry, I'm repeating myself, a tomato. Yes. And how listeners would go about that. Yeah, okay. So tomatoes are something that are fairly fairly easy, actually. Um, mm. So tomatoes are self-fertile, mm. which means they're quite an easy one to save seeds from because they don't need to cross-pollinate with another plant to actually create viable seed. So if you have, uh, for instance, a Roma tomato growing in your garden, and as long as there's... to keep that seed they don't normally cross-pollinate tomatoes but if you want to really ensure it doesn't cross with anything else maybe just have a crop of beans or something between your other varieties or have a distance between them now with with seeds obviously you need to grow that fruit till full maturity so it needs to get really soft almost to the not doesn't need to be inedible but it it, or moldy but it needs to get really fully ripe because otherwise the seeds won't have fully developed inside So and and you you can still use the fruit. So you can cut that fruit open, and you can scrape the seeds out. Still eat your put your tomatoes over there for a bruschetta, and with your seeds. Um, now eat, with tomato seeds, you would have noticed they're kind of covered in that gelatinous yeah. substance. Yeah. 
Now that that actually prevents those seeds from germinating. It's to stop them from germinating in the fruit. So what you actually need to do with tomato seeds is to ferment the seed. So you scrape all those seeds out and you pop them in a jar. Okay, now usually there's enough liquid with them, mm. but if there's not, you can pop a little bit of water in there. But I normally just, just put the seeds in a jar. I normally put a bit of a cloth over it so we don't get flies and things going in. And you just let it sit in like in the room somewhere you know out of direct sunlight just for like a day or two it depends on temperature just for a day or two and they will ferment and you will see um like almost like a white substance forming on the surface of the seeds in the jar it can be a bit smelly so i do it in the spare room so we don't have to smell it okay um and that's that's the ferment and that actually breaks down that gel but it also the fermenting process will also um potentially kill off any potential uh, bacteria or any any diseases that might be on the seed. So it's a good practice because you can just rub them through a sieve and try and mm. get to do that, but I always ferment them. Mm-hmm. So once, once they've fermented, you can then pour those seeds back through a sieve, give them a really good wash off and rub over yeah. and then lay them on a piece of like grease-proof paper right. i don't put them on paper towel because they tend to stick and be mm-hmm. a bit of a pain so just grease proof. slide them off the yeah so i yeah. rub them through the sieve put them on grease proof paper let them fully dry you must always really with seed mm. saving always make sure your seed is really dry before you package it up and always remember to label date and um, you just pop that into an envelope yeah into a into a paper bag an envelope a jar um, and how long can he stay in that envelope until you're ready to use him well tomato seeds if they're stored correctly, can last up to five years. Wow. Okay. Um, and, you know, from one tomato, you might have 100 seeds in a tomato. Yes, yeah, so I'm saying. Well, you know, so anyone can do so it. So much potential. So what sort of growers are you looking for? What seeds do you want grown can I just around? just do a break? Oh, sure. <laughs> Sorry, we will continue this chat very soon. Curtain Radio. And thank you for your company this morning. Our special guest in the studio with us is Laura Blishen. And we're talking about seed saving at the moment and we're going to get stuck back into that. It's 25 minutes past nine, 10 o'clock. Uh, Jim Crinan with the classic 70s to look forward to. Carry on. Okay, so, so uh, yeah, I, I would like to, um, yeah, really encourage people to grow seeds. I think one thing... Um, you need to be aware of before you save seeds is just make sure the plant that you're saving seeds from is an open pollinated plant rather than a hybrid so hybrids quite often when you on the seed packets they're labeled f1 and they're a cross between two species Mm. and there's nothing wrong with that but when you plant the seeds that that plant will produce won't be pure it will be a throwback to maybe one or the other parents so Mm. if you're going to get into seed saving try and source open pollinated seeds Mm. um and just be aware that you just need to follow the correct procedures to ensure the seed is viable and and pure so Mm. some seeds will cross pollinate quite readily with other things in your garden whereas some things are self-fertile and won't cross pollinate says that some things are easier than others um things that would be really easy for people like beginners to start with but like things like beans and peas because they're actually self-fertile but also they won't cross with other beans and peas too easily because the flowers generally fertilize before they even open Mm. so even if you do have another pea crop in the garden somewhere else 
there's no there's very little chance that they're cross pollinate because they're actually fertilized before they even open but i do say to people keep a bit of distance just because you might get them muddled up when you're harvesting the seed and things um, and just be aware as well when you're harvesting the seed you know say if you wanted to save seeds from something like a pump uh, cucumber the seeds when you pick that cucumber to slice it up in your salad they're actually not mature at all so you need to let you know one or two really fully mature and they go kind of big and ugly and kind of mm. yellowy brown mm. <laughs> so mm. that's something else to be aware of that reminds me of an email <laughs> so we we received an email about eggplant that were turning uh, coppery gold on the plant mm. and what did you think the the problem might have been oh uh, yeah when you showed me it was a brownie color um now they go a very brownie color once they're fully mature and or overripe. Or overripe, mm. yeah. Um, there was a hole in there, and egg, um, eggplant caterpillar can be a bit of an issue, which is like a moth that goes and lays an egg on, and then you cut it open and you um, find this sort of grub that's burrowed through the fruit. And sometimes that can discolour the fruit as well, um, but not normally on that entire fruit, like in that photo, the whole lot were brown. So I, they just looked overripe to, mm, over to me like they should have been picked, picked earlier well. and crops like this go very quickly in hot weather mm. yeah. zucchinis and cucumbers yeah. sort of bolt very yeah. quickly so you've really got to be out there checking on them daily picking yeah. daily and of course the more you pick the more, the more they will produce. grow <laughs> okay we're heading to dianella we're talking about everlasting flowers caroline hi hi morning ladies morning. I, thanks I uh, planted, I had a lovely crop of everlastings last year and I collected all the seeds from them. Well done. And uh, the seed people were sending out this email and they said it for our thing it's time to put our everlasting seeds in. I thought it was closer to April. Is that correct? Should we be putting them in now? I, I think I'd wait at least a month or maybe even a bit longer. Don't worry, Caroline. We will tell you when it's time. <laughs> I think the little seedlings might get burnt yeah. off if they, yeah, they might I, germinate with the heat. I, and you know, if they were getting water, but I think they might just get burnt off. If they, I think it's usually around the first rains. Yeah, that that's, you, that's you think how, about them. What would happen Rule in nature? Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, hold off. <laughs> oh, okay, then I will because we have had a pretty bad heat waves. Yeah. I wondered about all that heat. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Although I do water every day. I mean, I would keep them wet, but I'll, I'll do what you say and I'll just wait. Okay, you, then. I think you would struggle now because they really, they'll grow in winter and they they will germinate with first rains and if they're planted at the right time, they will possibly be kept going with follow-up rains. Right. So mm. they, then don't put the hollyhocks in either. Oh, wait. hollyhocks would be fine now. Oh, will they? They, okay. Oh, hollyhocks love summer. Oh, all right then. Yeah, they did say put the hollyhocks in in February. So, okay then. Lovely. All right. That's Thanks. your job for today. Have, have fun. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Okay. And you're going through a few emails as well. I will. So this yeah. one's come in from Sonia and she sent in a photo of a rose with a white flower. It uh, was given to her by a friend and it's in a pot. And she wonders why the stems are going black. And I think that's probably, uh, it seems to have a minimal canopy of leaf coverage. And I would say it's sunburn. I know I've got roses doing the same. 
So mm-hmm. I think, yeah, just protect them if you can. Uh, because it's in a pot, put it in an area where it's not getting such fierce sun mm-hmm. would probably be a good idea. Following on from our corn chat, Alex has sent in some feedback about corn and they've had the same experience just for interest's sake. In the foreground, the corn seedlings purchased from Bunnings. In the background, the second generation corn seed gathered from seedlings grown last year. The plants originally purchased from Kalamunda Markets. So I planted a few seeds I grew in two pots in the springtime. The difference in size and health between the Bunnings versus home collected seeds is huge. So uh, another ploy, a plot for collecting your homegrown seeds. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because when when you collect seeds also from like, say if you have a really plant, this is one thing to consider when you're collecting seeds is if you have a plant that's done really well and has been really vigorous, produced really well, that's the one you're going to save seed from, you know, because then you're kind of selectively breeding plants Mm. that are adapted to your microclimate in your garden. So whilst it might be tempting if a lettuce bolts to seed really quickly like they do, sometimes you might might be tempting to go oh i'll just collect the seed but don't leave it you don't want to encourage those genetics so you know you you save the seed from the most resilient be selective and the best fruit Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. very very good advice there laura now what seeds are you interested in getting people to grow so that you can like what's your main aim yeah so i mean everything (laughs) um but yeah i'm really interested in connecting with our customers if they feel like they're able to um grow any vegetable seeds of a you know reasonable quantity you know like say if you know 40 bean plants for instance can produce a kilogram of seed wow so if if somebody has a little bit of space that they can put aside say well we're going to grow some for us and maybe they might want to trade some back with us to you know get uh, some free you know some other seeds in return or i you know willing to purchase them as well so yeah any seeds that people as long as they can ensure the purity and the quality of the seed so we're not we we're not we will have to be a little bit selective and anyone that we have luckily connected with a few people so far um but we do need to kind of build a bit of a relationship and ensure that those seeds have been you know the procedures have been followed correctly so you know but for, for people on smaller blocks, you know, bees, beans, peas are uh, fairly simple. Whereas brassicas, for instance, you actually need quite a bit of space. So if for brassicas, so your cabbages and your broccolis, um, they will quite readily cross-pollinate with anything else in the same same um, species. So mm. um, I'd like to connect with people on bigger properties that can ensure that they've been isolated yeah. Um, but yeah, if anyone is interested, please get in contact with me and my email address is on the website um, because I think this is the way we need to go. And, and your website is? It's www.thrivesustainability.com.au. That's an easy one. So yeah, Google Thrive Always Sustainability. Always an easy one to yeah. type. Yeah, <laughs> good, good. Yes, okay. We we do have free lines, 94841927. And, yeah, in the next 10 minutes or so, I will give away another $75 gift voucher. How does that sound? Sounds like a great idea. Now, I would like to uh, respond to an email from Eric and Trish. And 
they they think they may have chosen inappropriate plants for their garden, which if you've tried to establish a garden in the last three months, you may be left thinking that yeah. based on our 41, 42, 43 degree temperatures, uh, which would be no surprise. So they live in a new estate in Greenwood. The house faces east and the recent hot weather has taken a toll on the plants. They've planted Caprosma Sahara Jewel, Caprosma uh, Middlemore, Monstera, Festuca, Elijah Blue, which is suffering. The little rubies and the gardenia on the west side appear to be doing okay, which is surprising because... Be the afternoon they, sun. Yeah. So the little rubies just look like they're powering away. Um, we believe we need to do some replanting. So you can can you suggest some heat-tolerant plants? Well, first of all, I will comment on what... I see here and I think a lot of the problem with the plant suffering is the reflective heat and you know if you went out in the middle of the day with a temperature gauge I think that yeah. you might find mm. this area the areas that these plants are is probably around 50 degrees mm. and you wouldn't want to stand there for five minutes no. so considering what the plants uh, how they they're looking is reflective of of their situation. The festuca is in tiered pots or little troughs. They will be fine, but they really need to be planted at ground level. Now, when the weather changes, when it turns a bit and cools down, I would I would consider getting them into the ground now. But after the weather changes, I would cut them back. And I think you'll find that they will come back. But having them in these tiered pots up against a hot tin fence, and it's very possible that on the other side of that fence, it's bare, it's not treed. If it, if it was covered in foliage, then the other side of that fence wouldn't be hot. But with direct sun hitting it, it would be hotter than what, what the daily temperature is. So there's no surprise that they're... They look very dry. On the other side, there's a narrow garden bed planted at the base of a wall, very little overhang on the eaves and concrete pavers with fence. So, you know, I look at that and I just say to myself, that's potential. Ray, if this was your garden or mine, we'd put a, a shade cloth cover up and sure. that would be lush mm. with plants. Mm -hmm. You know, if... If you're a gardener, you want to go outside at any time of the day and, and find somewhere to sit. You want to be mm. surrounded by plants, an umbrella canopy. And I, I just think, you know, we we need trees. Mm. Uh, livability is what it's all about. And, you know, nighttime you'd want to go and sit outside and, you know, do a little bit of hand watering or just yeah. have a natter and have a drink. Greenery so, around you. You know, I would be looking at, I wouldn't be worried as much about the ground level at the present moment. I'd be looking higher up. Mm. Look at establishing that umbrella. Trees, you know, if you've got something that's deciduous, then you've got that shade in summer and you've got that light in yeah. winter. Those leaves will break down and they will give you compost. I know the blocks aren't 
aren't big, but you could have some trees in pots. You could have French pennies and you could really change that environment into an area that you want to be in, not one that you can't be in. Mm. Cool the house down as well. You know, it's oh, you go into the house that doesn't have any of that tree cover and think about, you know, your energy costs of the running of the house. If if you can create shade on the walls of your house, whether it's shade cloth or tree canopy, you will change that temperature. If your air conditioning goes off because there's a power outage, which, Mm. you know, we tend to be hearing about, like, where are you going to go? Like, Mm. if you've got a green space outside, the canopy under a tree cover will will be a, a lovely place to rest and relax. Um, you know, it's a story right across Perth in the new areas yeah, at the moment. Yeah. And um, as a gardener, I, I said to Ray earlier, I could not live in one of those new housing estates because I would be boxed in. I'd just need to be but, outside. But there are some, like, really good examples. I have seen those sort of small suburban gardens where people have created that canopy Mm. and and it's amazing what can be done in a small space and and they do have that advantage that they've got fences so they have got sort of some wind breaks there so i think like you said just create that canopy look in when you walk into a forest it's cool it's because there's there's layers of vegetation yeah Yeah. think about your style it could be native it could be edible could be a food forest i was just thinking (laughs) when you're saying about trees like figs and mulberries they're both really easy to grow and they also deciduous, so they can drop the leaves and let the light into your house in the winter when you want them to be. In foot, you know, but they create that nice canopy in the in the summer when you when you need it. Okay, we do have to have a short, short break. When we return, Joan, Marigold, and Margaret, we're right with you. It's about eighteen minutes of let's talk gardening. Come, I'm really having trouble today. <laughs> You're a bit tongue-tied, Ray. I am. Who knows? Just it's the relax. heat. I'll blame the heat. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I am. I feel very relaxed. Maybe that's what's wrong. I'm too relaxed. We're going to Mandra. Marigold, good morning. Oh, my name isn't Marigold. It's Margot. Margot. Oh, yeah, but it's all right. I, it happens all the time. I think it's my Scottish accent and it comes up wrongly. Okay. But it's, it's okay. I'm used to it. Um, Hey, I've got a uh, probably a common query, but I've never had white scale. I think it's white scale on my hibiscus before. I've got four hibiscus, all very old ones at the back, and the same at the front. And just on this one, it's just developed this over the last couple of months. So I'm out there in the morning, like I was just a little while ago. Um, pouring buckets of uh, soapy water over it. And that seems to clear it for a couple of days and then back it comes again. So my question questions are, is there anything else I can do? What causes it in the first place and what can I do to prevent it happening again? Mm. Is it a hard scale or, or could mm. it be merely bug? Or could be mealybug. I haven't touched it. It's um, it's like little round in clusters of white on uh, towards the end of each branch. Could that be mealybug? Could it? Oh, mealybug looks kind of like um, f- almost fluffy, like you know, like cotton, imagine cotton yeah. tips of yeah. cotton buds. They're sort of soft. 
with mm, with yes, legs. Oh no, I haven't seen any movement or any legs or anything. No, they don't just... move. Yeah, that, so no, they they, they they're very slow they're moving, like cushiony sort of. Mm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So have to them to find <laughs> e- e- either way, e- often the pests harbour uh, in moist, dry conditions where there's not a lot of airflow. Mm-hmm. Um, I think mealybugs are probably quite prevalent and harbouring in crevices around gardens in Perth at the present moment. If you need to spray anything, um, certainly the, the bucket of soapy water is not a bad idea. But mm-hmm. my next go-to would be eco oil because it's organic certified and it will actually help to bring in the beneficial predators. Uh-huh. And and if you do spray it, there's less chance of it harming beneficial predators that are there. They tend to be able to move out of the way. So ladybugs mm-hmm. uh, could come in um, mm-hmm. and other sap-sucking yeah. insects, lacewing larva would be another one. And if you can encourage those, that will help. The other thing you could do is trim them back and remove right. the bulk of the infestation. Right, okay. Um, it's in quite an open area, so and I've, as I said, not ever had it before, so I'm quite surprised. And none of the other hibiscus have it. Right, okay. Um, yeah, so, okay, so I'll try the eco oil then. I would say and, with, um, with the eco oil, it's a really good product, but do wait until the temperatures cool off a little bit. When, when it, and that's kind of the same goes for spraying any anything really, mm. but especially the oil products. Yeah, and also if it's on, only just one, I would just say, Live is, with that, it. is that, well, is that plant stressed in any way? Is, is it's retic? maybe blocked or is there is it stressed in some way that's going to make it more susceptible to the pest you know especially if you say it's never been a problem before but yeah definitely hold off until mm-hmm. the weather goes off a bit all right i'll do that then and uh, i'll just check that it's getting enough uh of the retic although i think it is i'm in a um a retirement village and the retic seems to be quite good but okay thank you very much and I appreciate that. Love the show. Keep it up. Thanks, uh, Thank you, Mary. Oh, Margo. Margo. <laughs> thank you. Cheers. Thank you, bud. And let's go to Gosnells. We're talking about lime leaves curling. Joan, good morning. Yes, good morning. Actually, to start off with, that 41 degrees, even though I've got a lot of shade around, it just usually mine's, my temperature's lower than around about, but... That was just so hot and dry. Mm. Searing. My my thermometer registered 41. Wow. (laughs) Yes, it's pretty Mm. harsh. Mm. Anyway, the lime, it's only a a few years old and it's about a metre and a half. It was fine until this year and the leaves started to curl and not putting on any any much in the way of new leaf. Okay. I wonder, uh, is it either stress from lack of water or I, will, I go down and water it every day. I've got mulch around the, the roots. So All it's right. worth sticking your finger down into the root zone just in case that for some, some reason the water, you know, it's if water it's repellent. Become, yeah, because yeah. quite often a, when they're curling the leaves, that is a sign of droughts. So it's definitely worth checking the soil as well. So if, if that's the case, to overcome that, a wetting agent might help, Joan. Yes. But also yes. check 
uh, in your curling leaves if there's any sign of pest attack, like uh, the leaf miner? I can't see anything, but are they very minute? Yeah, they, normally on the back of the leaves. You look on the back of the leaves, and it's normally like it looks no. like a little squiggly yeah. line where the with the leaf miner is like tiny within the leaf, and it kind of yeah. looks like a tiny squiggly line where it looks paler, where it's burrowed under the leaf surface. Doesn't seem to be, and they're a little, they're a bit sort of deformed. Yeah, that sounds like leaf miner to me. Mm, it does. Yeah, look really uh-huh. carefully. Get it under a. Yeah. Bring one so, inside. So if there is the pest, look on a on a normal tree, I don't worry too much. I yeah, just to remove the unsightliness, I just take give it a light trim, take off some of that unsightly growth, and it shouldn't affect the tree. I probably wouldn't worry about it right now. We've got forty degrees coming again. Yes, and then yes. after that, you know, it it's just around the corner. We start to think about. Uh, autumn fertilising and judging up the soil again and getting ready for the yeah. next season. Leaf miner are really prevalent in the hotter months. So, mm. oh, okay, yeah, they tend to. It tends to be sort of from spring through summer to sort of when, and when it cool, cools off, they tend to be less prevalent. Now I've never had it before. That's the only thing, and it was really, really beautiful and leafy. But this year, pff, no. Not putting on much in the way of green, you know, new new leaf. <clears throat> All right. Anyway, I shall check the soil and yep. um, see what's happening. Okay. All Thanks, right, Joan. Good luck. Thanks Thank very you. much. Okay. Thank now, you. We do have to have a short break. When we return, we're chatting with you, Margaret, and uh, we're dealing with an email as well from Jim. Okay. Curtain Radio. And we're straight back out to the lines. We're in Erskine, Margaret. How's it going? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks for your program. It's been very interesting. Love, love the lady with the seeds. Oh, yes, we <laughs> do too. <laughs> no, I drive my husband mad. I, I save like watermelon seeds, rocking seeds, tomato seeds, and I don't bury them. I just chuck them in the garden. Yep, great. Nothing like a compost, uh, yeah, <laughs> no. yeah, compost vegetable. It's good. I think, I think the birds get most of them, but every so often they get a lovely tomato bush or I get some rock melons and that. It's great. <laughs> They're always the best. Um, I rang last week about the Magic Hard Biscuit Beetle. Yes, you did. And I do have all the information here that you need, Margaret. So they burrow into the hibiscus flower to lay their eggs. And when the larvae hatch and feed, they usually complete most of their development inside the flower buds that have fallen to the ground and remain moist. So if the flower buds fall and dry out, Interestingly, the larvae don't survive. So when mature, the larvae emerge from the flower buds and pupate in the soil. So the entire life cycle can be completed in as little as two weeks during the warm weather. And there are many generations during the year. The white and pale coloured flowers are significantly more attractive to the hibiscus beetles. So considering planting darker varieties can help. Uh, Collect and destroy any fallen flower buds and flowers. Yeah. And you can knock the beetles into a bucket of soapy water uh, to help help with uh, removal as well. Also, by controlling weeds, you'll be removing any alternative hosts where pests can thrive. So yeah, I hope no. that helps. No, it does help. Thanks. I appreciate it. 
And um, if you've got um, chooks and ducks, they will help yeah. as well because they target larva in the soil. Yeah, hey, I wish I did have. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I have been doing that, taking the buds off and putting them in a bucket of water and picking them up off the ground. But, um, oh, well, I think, I think we'll just put a hedge clipper right through the lot and cut them right down and let them start again. Well, that would be one way if you don't have the um, the the flower buds there for them to complete their cycle. You will break the cycle. Hope so. Thanks very much. I really appreciate it and appreciate your help. And thanks for the program. You're thanks. welcome, Margaret. Cheers for that. And let's go to Glen Forest, Alistair. Good morning. And a very good morning to the pair of you. Oh, thank you. Um, How are you today? Oh, warm vertical above ground and still annoying people. <laughs> my phone call today is testament to. Okay, <clears throat> go ahead. Now, I've got a I've got a query. Um, a number of the plants when I've uh, pruned them, I've ended up with a, a borer beetle or something that bores into the end of the stem. How do I stop that? What plants, Alistair? Um, well, my fig tree for one, um, and then an avocado. Um, tree for another. Okay. Uh, and how do you know that it's bored into the ends of the stem? Because if I, I follow it down, it goes all the way, the, the um, stem dies off and you can follow it all the way down to where you eventually get to um, good uh, live. So has it died back? Yes. In fact, it, it actually ended up, it killed one of the very young avocado um, plants that I had. Are you sure? Have you actually found the borer itself? Or, or seen evidence no. of no. swarf? <laughs> or... Does it, with the avocado, did it look like it was black? Like the, the, di the area that was dying back, was it black? No. no. No, it was just like dead wood. Yeah. It, it sounds like dieback more so than a borer. Yeah, that's if, what I was if, thinking because they're quite prone to die back, especially if they get stressed in any way. Cer certainly avocados yeah, are, but figs, yeah, figs, figs dying much, back. No. Um, I think this needs more investigation as, as to why and maybe when, but we're running out of time now, Alistair. Are you able to send us through a photo? Uh, yes, I probably can. Yeah, that, that might help. Um, and if you can do that by email, then I can send back more questions for you because I'm going to have to interrogate you over this, I'm afraid. All righty. Um, but I've noticed on every single um, branch that I have trimmed on the fig tree, every single one of them's now got a hole going down through it. And you can poke a, a wire down uh, um, a good 50, 60, 70 millimetres. Mm. All right. Yep. Um, Send we'll, us some pictures, yep. Alistair. All righty. Thank you very much. Not at all. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Okay. And Jim has phoned in from Caversham. His lemon tree has been healthy, supplying lots of lemons, but his lemons are falling off in bundles of six at a time. Well, uh, sometimes that will happen if there's a fruit fly problems uh it can be temperature related too yeah, the yeah. tree can't the hold on to things the tree will do if it gets stressed in any ways to drop its fruit mm. don't yeah 
probably probably weather related. I'm afraid. All right, okay. Ray. Well, over to you. do you want me to do a giveaway? Is it too late? Yep, do a giveaway. Do a giveaway. All right, it's going to be a real quick one. Must be a Curtain Radio member and not to have won a prize in the last 28 days. This is for Green Life Soil Coat. $75 gift voucher. Now we do know that delivering a greener garden is Green Life's motto. If you go to greenlifesoil.com.au you can browse their free gardening guides and downloadable resources. Whilst there, do take a look at their extensive range of products which are specifically designed for Perth gardens. Or if websites are not your thing, you can simply visit Linda Paul and the Green Life team at their premises Monday to Saturday. They will assist you with all your gardening needs. We also recommend you browse their Facebook page for updates. Green Life Soil Co. are open. Okay, I've already mentioned that, sorry. And they deliver, pardon me, across the metro area. And they provide courtesy trailers as well, which is very, very handy. Here is your question. This is an easy one. True or false? Cork is obtained from a type of oak tree. True or false? Cork is obtained from a type of oak tree. So you can thank John, who was difficult on the previous question. He's easy on this one. Nine four eight four one nine two seven. Okay. And Trevor has sent us a photo yes. from Bustleton about his melons. So here you go. <laughs> ah, so this was the cooler earlier. He thought they were might be blight, wasn't it? So, um, yeah, the photos, it's downy mildew, which yeah. is a fungal disease. Yeah. Um, and quite often if you get downy mildew, you also get powdery mildew, which maybe it looks like some of them are getting, and that looks more like a powdery white coating. And downy mildew is like where it goes sort of yellowy around the edges and you yellow spots and then it goes brown. Um, so it's a fungal problem. Um, there are off-the-shelf products you can get, but also just trimming off the worst effective leaves it tends to happen towards the end of the se season or when the plant gets stressed um, but also full cream milk diluted one part milk to uh, you know, nine parts water yeah. mixed up because the enzymes in the full cream milk um, can actually help with this problem as well so that's an easy solution as Fantastic. well milk spraying the, the leaves that are left there but Fantastic. Don't much. Thank you, Laura. And thanks for the photo because without yeah. it, we yeah. would have been none yeah. the wiser. Thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate yeah, you uh, coming me. on air with us. We'd love to have you back. I think listeners have enjoyed you. Now, we do have a winner of our competition, Cheryl of Oakford. Thank you for playing with us. $75 gift voucher from Green Life Soil Co. is on its way. The question was true or false? Cork is obtained from a type of oak tree. The answer is true, the cork oak. Okay. Three emails we didn't get to. We'll follow up with those next week. Sorry, folks. All right. Okay. Uh, look, thanking Jill Flores for jumping in for us and John Glidden. Faye, thank you. And again, thank you so much, Laura, for your company this morning. We will disappear. Look, stay tuned for Jim Crinan. He's up next with the classic 70s. And a big shout out to my dad. It's his birthday today, Tom Shaw, and he's just 83 years young. Love you, Dad. Have a great day. Enjoy, everyone. Keep cool. And look, do your best. Happy gardening. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.